So I do have a question for you guys. Sure. If there's like one element of fashion from like 2006 to 2009 that you miss, what is it? Lip gloss. Yes. Lip gloss and earrings. Uh-huh. Lip gloss is coming back though, like with yes. a vengeance. Yes. It's and nice. I'm happy about it. It's going to be good. I actually kind of miss headbands, which are also <gasps> coming back with a vengeance. I was never a person who could pull off headbands. Me neither, but I do think that now there are like bejeweled headbands and like fun ones that you can wear that just like sit on top of your hair instead of pushing it back, which is its intended purpose, but I could never use it that way. No, I think, well, you have the curtain bangs thing kind of going Now I, I do. Like you could do mm-hmm. it actually. Well, mm-hmm. we'll have to see. What do you miss? Yeah. I uh, still regularly wear my Uggs, like, uh, in the house. They are house slippers at this point. Would love if I could wear them to, like, work. (laughs) I really... (laughs) I have to look kind of nice at work, and so the fact that I can't wear them is painful. I actually did one suggest, because I'm on my feet all day, I once suggested that I like might buy a pair of Crocs to keep at work. Crocs are mm-hmm. coming back also. I know, and I loved them. Um, they were a big part of my, my working at horse camp. Um, they make your feet too sweaty. That's I don't like But them. there's air vents. How do they make your feet too <laughs> Cause sweaty? Because it's, like, it's, it's plastic. Yeah, it's plastic. I, don't, I never I, had a pair of Oh, that's... mm, You're not missing out on that. You didn't do swim team, I guess. (laughs) No, I did not. But there were a bunch of people who worked at the dance festival that I worked at who, like, wore Crocs all summer. Ew. I I mean, it makes sense. It just rains all the time, so I feel like it's a very... um, Rain-friendly shoe. Rain-friendly shoe. It'll just dry out in three seconds. You know what I miss uh, is having (laughs) a, a colorful iPod. Yeah. You really expressed your true identity through yes. the color of the brush seal on your iPod. Yeah, I had a red iPod, but my, I didn't pick it out. My parents picked it out. I wanted a green one. I had like, uh, you know the square iPods? They weren't the Nanos. They like had a video screen yes, somehow. Yes, I had one of those. Yeah, I had one of those and it was like mint green. I felt very cool. Mint green. Mm-hmm. I always kind of wish that they would do that for the iPhones because no one ever cares around an iPod anymore. Well, they tried with the C, with the plastic back, but it didn't look as good as the brushed metal. Yes. Yes. And I actually, like, I I enjoy iPhone cases. That's true. I, I'm I'm a clear case person. Not I. Mm -mm. Um... But this is all to say that we here at the Teen Wolf Rewolf are going to be discussing our uh, one of our most favorite spooky movies, Jennifer's Body. We are joined by special guest this week, Kathleen. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you here. It's very exciting. Uh, if you didn't know, which you probably do, I'm Christian. I'm Julia. And I'm Kathleen. Oh, you are? <laughs> well, dang. She really was like, you will not forget my just in case. name, just in case. Um, I was excited to invite Kathleen onto this episode because I was the first person to show Kathleen Jennifer's body in like deep quarantine. Yes. And when we decided this, when we, when you guys decided that this was going to be the next spooky bonus app. Was I, this voted on by It was. Fans? Oh. Yeah, the other options were Hereditary, Ooh. The Vich, oh. and Donnie Darko. Okay, okay. I was kind of hoping Donnie Darko would win, um, if only to watch a young Jake Gyllenhaal oh, do yeah. stuff. Of course. I of do course. feel like we have at least another Halloween involved in doing the Rewolf, so yeah. Every time really I go plan out the calendar, mm-hmm. I'm like, but what if this? What if we end up in quarantine again? Then we have to push back all of season five to never. No. To, to, li- to we'll just skip to season six. 
Um, but yeah, so much like the rest of our bonus episodes, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a different format um, for us discussing Jennifer's body. We're going to talk about what works in this movie, what doesn't, its cultural legacy, and a little bit of where are they now for our leading actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end, we're going to give it a grade. I'm going to give you my grade right now. It's an A+. Plus. <laughs> this movie is so underrated, but I'll get more into that later. Um, before we can start, though, obviously we have to do a recap. And since we have a special guest here, our recap will be done by Kathleen. This mm. is in no way sadistic. Yeah. No, I, not at all. Okay, so it's, it's an honor. The, the goal is to do it as quickly as I can. Yes. yes. So we're just going to time you. But no, no pressure. I'm going to hide my phone so you don't have to see how fast it's going. Um, do you want to see it? No. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> do, you want, do you want a relative time frame? Uh, no. Okay. Because okay. in, in, obviously, like, in our episodes, you have, we only have a minute to try to do the whole episode. I see. Sometimes it's like, ha, 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 I'm the king. And then yeah. other times it's like, oh, I'm, like, 15 minutes into the episode. Okay, do you guys have any, before, before I begin with this, do you have, a, uh, like, any tips or tricks? Talk fast, bitch. Oh, God. Don't get, okay. don't get hung up on particulars. Okay. That's my okay. uh, yeah. advice. All right. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. So Jennifer's Body is a movie that centers around uh, two women, Needy and Jennifer, who are childhood best friends. Um, There's a sort of homoerotic subplot where Needy is uh, in love with Jennifer, um, and that storyline sort of unfolds throughout the movie. But essentially, at the beginning of the movie, um, Jennifer and Needy go to a bar uh, and to see a like shitty indie band, and it turns out that the indie band is trying to sacrifice a virgin to Satan in order to um, make themselves blow up. They want to be very popular, so they mistake Jennifer for a virgin and attempt to sacrifice her, and it backfires. She becomes a succubus and goes on a murder spree, um, killing uh, boys in the town. Um, this continues on. Uh, Needy is the only person who really understands what's going on and is trying desperately to get uh, Jennifer to, you know, snap out of it. Um, and it should, this can contain spoilers, right? Okay, oh, yeah. So then uh, Jennifer, at the end of the movie, kills Needy's boyfriend. Um, Needy uh, revenge kills Jennifer, but it's also, you could argue, maybe a mercy killing. And... Um, then Needy ends up in a uh, hospital or in a, a, a prison, a jail um, for murder. And uh, then uh, she breaks out of jail because she has now inherited the sort of succubus demonic powers and goes and murders the band who initially sacrificed Jennifer. Nice. It was a minute and 30 seconds. What? And probably the most coherent recap we of ever, all time. Yeah, and definitely one of the fastest of any of the bonus episodes. Yeah. Wow. And a lot less like sputtering of like, uh, <laughs> and then, um, I don't know. Yeah. Congratulations. That <laughs> nice. was really great. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm impressed. I think we're all impressed. I also, um, feel like you, I wish you watched more Teen Wolf. <laughs> yeah. You, you'd be a help, a helpful hand <laughs> on us trying to do the problem. With, I think when we do the recaps on Teen Wolf is we have so much sort of prior and post knowledge of what's happening in every episode we're like but then if you think about what happens in episode five from now yeah yeah we're always trying to point out like what dominoes it's setting up and uh no yeah no it's it's really it's mm, it's not as easy as as a one-off movie and this is a one-off movie that 
Had there been some sort of series, I think a lot of people would be deeply pleased. This has become a serious cult classic, specifically amongst women our age. Mm -hmm. Um, I love this movie. I have always really liked Diablo Cody. Um, Juno is one of my favorite movies, and you see a lot of the elements that borrow from that, even though this is very different, except for being set in the cold Midwest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like Juno said in Minnesota, this is set in Wisconsin. I'm from Michigan, so I'm like, oh, my people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So let's kick this off about what works most about Jennifer's body. What is the thing where you're like, every time you watch it, like, this hits. This is something that I've latched onto from this movie. So happy it's in there. And it hasn't aged poorly. Some has. For me, and I've only seen this movie twice. It was once in Deep Core and Tonight. Um, But the thing that, like, rings the most true for me, and this may be too general of a thing, but the relationship between... Um, Needy and Jennifer uh, is so complex and so layered and at once works as like this wonderful broad sweeping commentary of what it means to be a teenage girl trying to have friendships with other teenage girls and it is a hyper specific story of these two women specifically I'm like totally stunned by um, how intricate it is but also uh totally metaphorical like it's like it like it totally just yeah I don't know it works um I think that is totally true I said to you while we were watching this uh how interesting and important it was that like Needy had like a life outside of Jennifer so that you can sort of develop these two people like without it being sort of a pathetic infatuation like jennifer is does not treat needy very well but there is also sort of a serious dynamic that like most girls in high school go through where they have a sort of like queen bee friend right where they're like but i get enough out of this to not leave it but because it's unfulfilling in certain ways you do have to have other parts of your life and like needy not being like just to sort of like well i'll never be as cool as you jennifer type person is so important you know she has a boyfriend she has built relationships elsewhere and but she's right like sandbox love never dies and she says that and it's like very much sort of like kind of a question about like what you owe to people Mm -hmm. um and clearly jennifer has never felt in particular that she owes needy anything beyond the sort of status she gives her which is often how those queen bee girls behave um But I think, um, like, another thing that I find so interesting and rings so true about their relationship is that all of the toxicity that exists between them feels, to me, imposed upon them by men and by the patriarchy. Like, the reasons in which... The reasons that they don't get along are because, like, Jennifer feels the need to, like, be a certain way to exist under the male gaze. You know what I mean? No, I, I completely agree with that. I think that, that I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive. I mm. think that sort of, I, of course, like the way they treat each other isn't in like based inherently in personality. It is often right. a reflection of how they operate within like their high school. And like, obviously Jennifer, like she even, even at the beginning of the movie, Needy says that like the way that she's supposed to dress around Jennifer is to never upstage her. Yes. 
because Jennifer can't function unless she is the center of attention. Um, and that in itself is like, I find far more pathetic than anything needy brings to the table. Yeah, totally. Um, she's so much more, and especially because like needy has a sort of stable male relationship. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't need what Jennifer needs mm-hmm. out of the sort of population of their school, which is also sort of a reflection of this, like Jennifer must devour the love she's given mm-hmm. later once she's turned into a succubus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so to be clear, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Um, Wait, what? Christian, you know this. No, I thought yes. you had never seen Donnie Darko. I also have not seen Donnie Darko. Guys, I'm going to apologize for the gaps in my pop culture knowledge. I just, this is the first time I've seen it. Um, oh, I feel like which, a, the professor here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, this is really exciting, actually. Yeah. Um. Well, I feel one of the things I was most struck by is uh, how clearly it was pulling from Mean Girls, which obviously came out five years before it. But what I really appreciated, and I absolutely love stories about um, teenage girls and also how women are cruel to each other yeah. because. I feel like that doesn't get a lot of representation um, and like female love is supposed to be so pure uh, when in reality it's like deeply, deeply complicated. And the point of Mean Girls is like a sociological study of high school and this gets down to the heart of that relationship as you guys were talking about like sandbox love um, and the fact that you can't like let go of toxic people who have been in your life your whole life Mm -hmm. and particularly within the structure of their town, which is so small. You presumably have gone to school with the same people your entire life. Um, that bond, like I, I can imagine that they would be completely lost without each other, which I think is set up really, really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to, to an extent, it's almost not even just the bond that holds them together. If you mentioned it's a really small town and even chip like gives needy all of these reasons to not really be friends with her, but it's like, who else is there? There's nothing else. If you break that bond, like so much of your like structure in your life shatters because that's just what it's like growing up in a small town or even just sort of the minutia of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it is so well calculated both. And it is so, so flipping important that this movie had a female uh, screenwriter and director, Karen yes. Kusama, who I love um, is the director because I think any other gaze on this would not understand just how complex that is. Yeah. I also like, and I said this to you too while we were watching the movie, but I very recently watched the original Carrie and was so, um, pleasantly surprised and, um, really excited by all of the Carrie references because when I watched Carrie, I had a very similar reaction to the reaction that I had watching Jennifer's body the first time, which is, which was namely like, Oh my God, um, how horrible it is to be a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. Like it is so, it is so horrible and so absurd. So the genre of horror works so well to express that. And I think having Karen Kusama, who is a horror director, like, pull on all of these references, like make references to these movies that were also historically cast aside for being too campy, too like female heavy and like reclaim it and say like, no, we're still doing this. We're still paying attention to it. It's still important. Yeah. I, I loved that. I love that too. Karen Kusama has another movie that I like called Destroyer and it stars Nicole Kidman and mm-hmm. it's like kind of a lady cop movie. So if you don't want to watch it, that's fine. But like some of the most like, profound moments in that movie are when she's like talking to her teenage daughter who is just an absolute nightmare but like 
she has no reason to like her mom because her mom is crazy and like mm-hmm. just like I really think she gets it. Yeah, I really think that she gets being a teenage girl in a level that like a lot of people don't. Especially there are people who sort of grow away from that sympathy and like it's really cool to watch a movie that still has it. Mm-hmm. Um, what else works about this movie? I want to say on the friendship thing really quickly. Oh, sorry. Um, because I one of the things that works about this movie and I think we can talk about it in other ways is just the subversion of a lot of different tropes that you find in horror movies which mm-hmm. I think every horror movie is trying to do but the idea that Nebi like has to be there for Jennifer because she's like the only person who Jennifer trusts and who like Needy knows Jennifer so particularly and like that is part of why she can't cut her out of her life in contrast with her boyfriend who is just like the sweetest man on the planet. Chip. Chip. And like Our king. 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 Chip. But typically those roles would be reversed. It would be just like the completely toxic boyfriend and the friend who's like trying to help her get away from that situation. I just find that so interesting. Yeah. Well, I think, well, it's, it's definitely more interesting to sort of like, it's way more interesting to me to pitch the idea that Jennifer can't live without Needy than some, like, narcissistic dude bro can't live without Needy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also think, like, on the subject of Chip, um, obviously, like, throughout the movie, he is so, uh, like, wonderful and sweet to Needy and, like, really serves, like, the stereotypical, like, perfect high school boyfriend role. And I believe very strongly is the funny thing is i don't think he fills that role because i think it's very atypical how wonderful he is sure but like in terms of like when you're a high school girl imagining like what you how you want your boyfriend to treat you it's chip like he is so he's so sweet he's affectionate he's funny um and i think his character is also a little referential to carrie um but even chip has a moment where needy is like it's when she's initially describing to him what has happened to Jennifer. And he's like, no fucking way. Like, that's crazy. And you are sort of sucked out of like the perfection of chip for a minute. And at least I had this reaction of like, well, he's still a boy who is still doubting like his girlfriend who is speaking very like the things that she's saying are admittedly crazy, but it's like, she's asking him very firmly to believe her and he's still super quick to but discount But I think that's ideas. so wonderful is what he's like, I do believe you, I don't believe this. Because I think even if I'm just sort of like playing the advocate of devil's metal, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I would also be like, babe, <laughs> you, <laughs> sure. Okay. No, but I, I, I think that it only, I think you're right. It only sort of takes you out because he has been so wonderful up until that point. Well, and I think it, it is to serve as a little reminder to the audience of like, let's remember who the real villains are here. It's like, it's always... We haven't even talked about Adam Brody yeah. yet. <laughs> you know what works about this movie? Uh, the like searing satire on like pop punk bands yeah, preying on teenage Evo. girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I... If Adam Brody was the perfect person to play the sort of like Satan worshiping asshole who does this to Jennifer, especially just like given who he was in culture at this time. This is like right around the end of the OC. Um, 
just <laughs> it, he does it so well he is it, it it is actually sort of really wonderful to watch someone be unapologetically evil and narcissistic mm-hmm. i don't want to have any sympathy for these people and that is why it is so brilliant that low shoulder all suck he actively says "Ugh, i hate girls and it's like it doesn't get any, <laughs> any clearer, clearer than, than that. that but it also doesn't feel like we're being hit over the head with like and they're misogynist it's like no they literally just are, are. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't feel talked down to like in the explanation of just how terrible men are i know how bad men are yeah. i've met them <laughs> Yeah. Well, Adam Brody in particular is just like mm, such a good choice, like you were mentioning. And I'm thinking about um, his like guest episode on New Girl, where he plays an ex boyfriend of Jess, one of the main characters. If you haven't watched New Girl, and her whole thing is like exes can be friends, and she brings Adam Brody over to like prove that that's the fact. Uh-huh. And throughout the episode, he's like, "I'm in love with you," and like uh-huh. just crossing every boundary becoming a total scumbag and she's like you have a wife and a child and he's like i don't care and because it's adam brody you're like so taken in at first and then you're like wow what an asshole yeah (laughs) but i mean he's not even charming to begin with no Mm -mm. Uh, No. um what else works um i thought i think and People may not agree with me, but there are some... I'm prepared to disagree. There are some uh, cinematographic, cinematographic choices. The cinematography. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Um, There are some cinematographical choices um, that are so, like, that are kind of like, I'm hitting you over the head with, like, this is a horror movie. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the shot that I said, like, oh, that's such a great shot of Needy, like, her face filling up half the screen while Adam Brody is in the background being like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that girl's a virgin. (laughs) And it's like, that's such a, like, German expressionist kind of, like, weird, like, how do you even get that angle realistically in real life? Or, like, when she's walking down the hallway and the camera is like tilting yeah. slightly. Oh, my favorite! One of my favorite shots in the movie is when she's looking sort of in the the on the under her stairs to the stairs to go to the basement in her mm-hmm. house, and you are so sure that when she closes the door, Jennifer is gonna be there, yeah. and she's not. And it's like, oh, that was I was so prepared to see her, and every time I'm like, oh, Jennifer's no, she's not, she's not, and I'm like, that is so smart. They, yes. It also sort of ignores horror for the sake of it being a more interesting movie. Like, it would be really boring if she screamed then. But no, the fact that, like, Jennifer, like, crashes into her kitchen, disgusting, is like... um, You know what works about this movie? Megan Fox. She is so unbelievably good in this movie. And I mean, like, I really like Amanda Seyfried, but I really think that she is the... Really is the the strength of this movie. Yes. Um, I read an amazing quote from her a little while ago where she was like, oh, I, I'm so tired of people wanting me to be the hot girl. I just want to do my own stunts and be caked in shit. I love that stuff. And it's like so, you can watch her having fun in this movie. And I think that that is sort of, must be a luxury for somebody like Megan Fox who yes. has been very publicly mistreated by Hollywood, which is so unfortunate. And I just, I just think that like, this would have been such a, a relief to take on a role like this, to be like repugnant and like spitting blood and like getting to be in a room of mostly women to do this movie. Well, and she is given the opportunity to act. Like I had a conversation this morning. So one of my close friends, um, watched Jennifer's body for the first time last night. And, uh, we were talking about the movie this morning and he was like, 
whoa, like Megan Fox was actually really good. And I was like, well, yeah, she's a really good actor. And he was like, okay, but did you see Transformers? And I was like, who, who was acting in Transformers? <laughs> also, Transformers no directed by Michael Bay, yes, who notably who abused, abused her. her. Abused her. And so then, but so this was the interesting thing about the conversation is like my friend had not heard anything about Michael Bay being a literal piece of shit. Garbage. So I had to explain the whole thing to him. And like this, I, and he literally said to me, he was like, and here I was thinking that she was just like the hot girl. Like that image of Megan Fox is so pervasive that even when she gives the performance of a lifetime in Jennifer's body, you like people still look at her and they're like, oh, well, must've been a fluke. Yeah. It's and, so and a big not. part of that was how this movie was marketed. Yes. We talked about this the first time you and I watched it together. Uh, via text because this was in quarantine Um, this movie when it came out and I remember watching the ads um, was really uh, marketed as sort of like a paranormal lesbian movie for 12 year old boys yes it it had the clip over and over again of Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried making out like that was the trailer yeah that was the thing that was and it one I don't think I don't think that the sort of rating, the fact that it's rated R was gotten across in its marketing. It should have been marketed towards women yes. as a, the sort of like, as like a Halloween movie that you can enjoy because it isn't about your body being mutilated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, I, I wish that, and even if you go back and read the reviews, like people really did like this and complimented Megan Fox, but the sort of like Hollywood push behind it didn't do her any justice. And that's so unfortunate because she's so good in it. She's, she is crazy good. And I actually think the most important aspect of that is she is an insanely good comedic actress. She oh my gosh. So she is so funny. funny. She's so funny. I hate to bring up new girl again, but Zoe Deschanel <laughs> like went on maternity leave like towards the show's end and they brought in Megan Fox to like stand in for her and when I was watching it I was like I'm gonna skip Megan Fox's episodes like I'm not interested in that because it, I felt she didn't fit the vibe of the show sure and then she shows up and she is so fucking funny mm-hmm. like minute one and you're like oh I want her to stay here for always please mm-hmm. The fact that she's not in the whole show like feels like a waste. When you go back to rewatch it again, you're like, but where is she? She's so good. Yeah. Well, and also I, another thing I wanted to talk about what works, um, the screenplay. I think that Diablo Cody's uh, writing could be really polarizing um, in how hyper-specific the dialogue is. You have to be able to pick up on like so many sort of references um, in order to sort of get every joke. And it is very like of its time and like topical of what was happening at the time that this was written. And the fact that both like, I think in particular, Johnny Simmons who plays Chip and Megan Fox do the best job because they're also kind of given more of the like wordy jokes to work with. It is like very dependent on like, um, wordplay and like, you do have to be smart and be able to like sort of get those lines through really quickly to have them land as well as they do. And that's a big thing about Juno is that like how much Juno relies on the wordplay. And I think that that could be really isolating in a lot of other movies, but when it comes to a movie about teenage girls, teenage girls inherently create their own languages with each other. And so that is why it works so well with like needy and Jennifer is that she can be like, I'm crossing you out needy. And you know exactly. And you know exactly what she means. I also think that because Diablo Cody's dialogue just clips along so quickly, it leaves you like in the context of a horror movie. You don't have a lot of time to like 
sit and think so you are sort of off kilter the whole time like you're a little bit on the edge of your seat because you have to pay such close attention to what everyone is saying and it leaves the like silences so much more interesting and the moments of surprise like so much more exciting because everything is moving so quickly I'm going to be super controversial for a second and say that um, I don't care for Juno. I know that people really, really love that movie. And I have there are a lot of reasons why I don't care for it very much. Um, and we'll get into that later if we want to. But I do think part of my issue with this movie, and not that I have issues with this movie, but I actually think at some points the dialogue is too quippy. And it frustrates me because I feel like there is such amazing complexity in the relationship between... Needy and, I was about to call her Megan, no, Needy and Jennifer, <laughs> and I I really wanted there to be a moment where you're really struck by the gravity of what's actually happening, because it's horrible, mm-hmm. and it is a black comedy, but there's no real, like, moment of reckoning between the two of them, like, even when Needy stabs her in the heart, she's like, my tit, and it just took me out of the moment. I think that... My argument against that is that so many of my friendships as a teenage girl, like, ended so... Without ceremony. Yeah, totally without ceremony and for insane reasons. A lot of them ended over the internet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just, like, really, like, random. A lot of the times, like, you couldn't even articulate what the fight had been in the first place. So there was not a moment of, like, okay we are sitting down and talking about what has happened between us. I didn't even really need that though, because you were talking earlier about like the silences Mm -hmm. and I felt like there weren't enough of them. Mm -hmm. I felt like they always needed to be punctuated by a quip, by something very clever, which I appreciate in a lot of different circumstances. But because like you were saying, it's so fast paced. There's like no sense to breathe. There's no moment. I'm going to blame the editors on that one. Could be, could be. <laughs> um, so it sounds like we are shifting into what doesn't work on this. Does anybody have anything else they want to add into the what works category before we go? The uh, the score, the soundtrack score is great. bangs, yeah. bangs. It yeah, it's very bangs good from beginning to end, except for that stupid song that they wrote for Low Shoulder to perform. Which yeah, is a bad song. It but is a bad it, song. It That's also the, works. That is the point, though. Yeah. That it's not very good. Yeah. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to production design really quickly. I love when movies can encapsulate the fact that the Midwest exists about 10 years ago for everyone. <laughs> like if you're not in the city in the Midwest, it's like roughly 2005 there. <laughs> like, and that's now back then it was like 95. So I, I like looking at like needy's prom dress it's like oh my so... god her hair yeah it's it's awesome um the fact that jk simmons's character has one hand yeah for why yeah and it's never <laughs> it's never even addressed really like, yeah he uses it for one joke which is when he like points it at it's like the joke is not even a joke he just is like wiping something off his face <laughs> and you're like what the hell is he doing with his claw yeah there's, there's just a lot of sort of weird little moments, like when she feeds her ferret fried bologna. We yeah. never see the ferret again, yeah. but like Needy has a ferret and it yes. likes bologna. So like that's something that I really just like. I'm like, great character detail. Mm-hmm. Um, their house, I really like. It's so... Yeah. It's so Midwestern. Yes. Um, so any other any other things that like we're, we need to give a shout out to in the, in the works category? 
I loved the pool. Oh, was great. again, yeah. production design. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. Whoever designed that set was like, I'm having a, I'm having a good day at work today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So it sounds like we're moving into what doesn't work. Uh, it sounds like Julia wants to start. I don't want to give the impression that I did not enjoy this movie because I did. Um, and I was just kind of thinking to myself because watching this, I was reminded of the trailer, uh, for promising young woman, which is a movie I'm very excited to watch. Um, and it kind of like hits all of the same, uh, note, like not all the same, but a lot of the same notes as Jennifer's body and people are salivating over that movie. And, uh, this movie, as you were mentioning before, did not get its proper due and it, I think if it were something that came out now, people would take it much more seriously and um, probably be a little less critical of it. But uh, one of the things I felt didn't work, um, I couldn't figure out what the movie was supposed to be. Like, it is a horror, it's a black comedy, but whereas I feel like the the vibe, if you will, of Heather's is really well-defined, um, I did not feel that in this movie. It's definitely a little wonky, but I think the wonkiness serves like the general wonkiness of the situation. Yeah, it's funny when you were talking about the quippiness, I was like, yeah, but that's exactly how Heather's is. It's like mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. after even after JD blows himself back, like Heather's next line is, "You look like hell. I just got back." You right. know, right? I I think that is there. You know, there are very clear uh, like pieces of homage to Heather's in this one in particular. I think that there are. I mean, there's arguments to be made for parts of Heather's that don't work as well. Um, you know what I think is kind of lacking in this movie, hmm. uh, like nature horror. You've said it in this, like, very dark, very cold, like, northern Wisconsin town, and you operate very little within those spaces. And, in fact, you, I'm never afraid of the dark in this movie, which I find very strange. Oh, yeah. And, like, one of the most satisfying moments of the movie for me, again, because I am a sucker for good cinematography, is seeing um, Jennifer's head come out of the water just after she's murdered the football player, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's swimming around and you're like, the sky is kind of gray and the lake is this like really like murky, dark blue. And you do sort of expect that like, it's like she's in the middle of the woods, like maybe something bad is going to happen, but, um, it is also so beautiful and I would, I would have loved to see more of that. Yeah. And even the, the one sort of guy she kills in the woods is the football player, but it happens in the daytime. Mm -hmm. Um, also, you made this point. It was one one of you. I don't remember. I'll take credit for it. Um, made this point during the movie, but why was the deer feasting on the body? <laughs> yeah, especially when there are other animals there who do eat meat. Right. I think it was. Just, I honestly think it was about the perversion of that. Sure. The idea. I mean, like I, this sort of sacrificial deer, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like it is a. The fact that, like, she shouldn't be eating meat and neither should that creature. It was a mirroring effect. Mm. I did think it was odd at the time. But, yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting to me that we don't get to sort of operate in those spaces when that's, like, if you, I mean, if you... Have you been to the Midwest? If you've been to the Midwest, you're like, this place is terrifying. It's weird, yeah. It's It's so scary. It's so weird. Anything else that doesn't work? I want to talk briefly about the homoerotic, not even subtext, um, the homoerotic tension of the movie, if you, you will. You don't think it works? It's not that I don't think it works. It made me a little uncomfortable. Um, 
And not because I felt like it was uh, it was clearly not being presented to me through the male gaze just by virtue of it having been a woman directing it, but uh, <sighs> I, I feel like maybe I don't have anything more articulate to say about that, but there was just something about it that really put me off, and especially because it only started happening once Jennifer like had the demon in her, and so it wasn't... Oh, no! The, the actual physical realization. Oh, okay, so the actual... Them, them actually making out... Um... But I think, I mean, I think that's earned by that point because we have seen Needy give so many longing glances. Yeah, I think the, I think the thing is that Jennifer, I think Jennifer without the demon in her would never act on that because she knows that she wouldn't actually be giving Needy what she wants. Like, I don't think that she would like do that to her. Whereas the demon needs Needy on her side and knows that that's a part of Needy and Mm -hmm. is manipulating it. Mm -hmm. But I think that Needy, the whole movie, does have this. And maybe even Jennifer before the demon has it a little bit as well. You know, she's like playfully grabbing at her in the bar and stuff. I also think... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, like, and, you know, maybe this is because I am a bisexual (laughs) woman. But, like, I think that that's maybe sort of the nature of, like... It's like, I feel like I was constantly touching my friends. Or not, like, I was touching my friends, but, like, there is a sort of, like physical intimacy between women that I think does come from this like mistaken belief that like women are always safe with each other. Yeah. Um, which I think is played out so beautifully when Jennifer is picking her up to go to the concert and they start shoving each other and it's like clearly a flirty thing. And then Jennifer literally like, like rams her, into rams the wall. her to the wall and is like, fuck you. And it's yeah. like, Oh, right. This is not always safe. This sort of intimacy does not always exist safely. So I think the issue, I think that maybe there is an issue of of the presentation of the homoeroticism in this movie where it maybe romanticizes it a bit, but I think it is sort of, it it is a serious demonstration of the uneven power dynamic between these two people. Yeah. I I think that's very fair, and probably my... Um, reaction to it has something to do with imagining other people watching this movie because like I also am a queer woman and I feel very uh, sensitive to people watching relationships like that play out on screen and how it's going to be perceived. Mm -hmm. I Uh, think the first time I watched it I was I think saying like grossed out is a terrible way to say it but I was made uncomfortable by the way that I knew that other people were reacting to it specifically men. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's I felt gazed upon by watching it, I think, was my initial reaction. And now that I've seen it a couple times and intellectualized it or whatever, I think differently of it. I've also maybe been desensitized to it because I've seen it a couple times. Yeah, I, but I mean, I, I saw it for the first time very recently. And, you know, this is not to discount your experience watching the movie. But, uh, like, I think I totally hear what you're saying about considering how other people, namely men, are going to perceive this. But I also, like, particularly with a movie like this, just want to think, like, fuck it, you know? Like, who cares? Because this is this is fundamentally not a movie for men. So I am not going to take into account how they are seeing this because, like... That just makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, and every, we are always taking into account how they see it. And I'm like, no, let us, let's ha- let us have this. Yeah, I want one, one goddamn thing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of men, you know what doesn't really work for me? The fact that all of 
Jennifer's victims are dudes you don't want to die in this movie. I, cause I don't really want to sit here and be like, I want to sit here and be like, not all men, but I would really like, I would just like, I wish that she, you know, got Chris Pratt's character because he sucks Didn't and he we know he sucks. Fire? He might've died in the fire. No. no. Cause she mentions him later yeah. again. She's like, I'm oh, cool with the police because I'm, right. I'm fucking a cadet or something. But like, which Colin, is a very funny yeah. claim. Colin and Ahmet and uh, Chip are, and the football player, the football player who, who is mostly just, oh, the only thing we know about him is that he like loves his friend and that his friend is dead. Like I look at all these people and That's I'm true. like, I, I, I get it that maybe it is more like a salient to just make it so like all bets are off when you are on your man killing spree, but I wish she had killed one asshole just to sort of get that like, um, catharsis sure sure you know and she even has a line where like where uh needy's like you're killing people and she's like no i'm killing boys and it's like yeah but you could have killed some shittier boys (laughs) (laughs) but i actually think that's where that line works because she is killing nice boys and she's so quick to discount it and uh obviously had i been murdered by a group of men in the woods i probably would too Mm -hmm. but um you know, I think that's part of where that exchange really works is that you you liked Colin. And, like, there's this sense of, you know, she was murdered in the woods in a deeply traumatic event. And there is, like, it's like the ultimate revenge fantasy of coming out of something like that. And, like, literally you don't even have the agency to, like, enact your own revenge. Something is doing it for you and giving the perfect excuse to just be totally insane about it. Just like, I mean, it's like it literally demonic. Like, it doesn't matter whether or not they were nice boys. It's a demon. You guys are right. <laughs> I just, again, I just wish that at least one of them had been, like, I mean, it's, yes. it's fine. It's it cool that the movie ends with needy killing low shoulder because they all deserve to die. Yes. Um, but I would, I again would feel more rewarded if it had been Jennifer. Yeah. But I do love that it's like, that Needy's sort of final act is seeking revenge for somebody she lost. You yeah. know, yeah. it's not even that very. It's not even very self-serving. It is very much like in sort of post-mortem defense of of Jennifer. Um, anything else that doesn't work? One thing that I b- both times viewing this movie sort of had a question about, and I'm not sure this doesn't work. I'm just maybe wish it was more fleshed out. Was why Needy had a sort of like psychic connection to Jennifer um, after Jennifer had been murdered. She had one before though. When? She, uh, like, she is sitting on her bed making out with Chip and he goes to undo his belt and she goes, no, Jennifer's here. Oh, that's And he goes, how do you know? I think that is sort of, I think that is a little bit like suspend your disbelief in just the... I also just think it's it's a really sort of tangible way to represent the connection between women. Sure. That is like, it goes beyond like physical intimacy and like emotional comfort and can go into like the sort of uwu of it all. The <laughs> metaphysical <laughs> realm. Well, I mean, Jennifer is always, is killing people in this movie because she's haunted by a, a demon or possessed by one. But like, ultimately the paranormal is not what's important. Like, the important thing about the movie it's about the trauma that she's endured and her relationship with needy so i think perhaps some of the paranormal elements may have been sacrificed in order to make room for those other things sure 
I also just would like to acknowledge for a second, like, and this is, you know, a very, like, a totally obvious take, but the notion of being possessed by a demon, like, that that is the thing that makes Jennifer evil in this movie is, like, I don't know, you know, women being objects of possession and mm-hmm. demons then <laughs> taking over your body. It's, like, it, it feels very um, right. Yeah, that her uh, sort of evil is coming from an outs is coming from a, a, a like societal outside of horse yeah 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 talk about body horror yeah you know what scene i love hmm. is when she is like getting ready to go to the dance jennifer and she's like slathering on her foundation with her hands and it's just like there is a part of her she's like i just want to be back to normal yeah you know, because I think I I think that even though she knows that like she is more powerful when doing this, like mm-hmm. Jennifer again normally is not is she's a bitch, but like she yeah. would never kill anybody. Right, right. Um, so I think that's a really interesting observation. Anything else that doesn't work? I don't think um, no. No, I, I think it's a good movie. <laughs> I think it's a great movie. Yeah. Um. So let's move into a little bit of cultural legacy. I was saying earlier, this has become like a cult classic for the girls, the gays, and the theys. Yes. Um. Mostly because it's just like about what it feels like to be in like moved out of your body by other forces. Yeah. Um. But why else do we think that this has hit so hard? Other than, like, the obvious of, like, it's for girls. Um, I think Megan Fox worked really hard to give herself, or to not give herself a voice, but to, like, use her voice that had been stolen from her in Hollywood. And once people started to take Megan Fox seriously, it was like we were allowed to revisit the movie is a serious movie. I know? agree. You know, I read a really, a quote from Megan Fox that really just broke my fucking heart. And she was talking about how she didn't initially speak up on the me too movement. Mm-hmm. And it was basically like, nobody listened to me before. And I had already said my piece. So God. I wasn't going to interrupt the other voices being heard. And could you imagine? <laughs> it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. horrible. Um, but I think you're right. I do think that the sort of like Megan Fox, reclamation project that kind of happened really pushed this back into um focus i also think there has been an extreme um like resurgence in the appreciation of horror and horror comedy totally and like prestige horror is now very much a thing Mm. yeah no when this was coming out mostly what was coming out was like saw right which so this (laughs) <laughs> i feel like we've mentioned saw in our last couple of podcasts and neither of us wouldn't like it the first one is a decent horror film and the rest of it is like shock value that is meant to make you puke on the floor of the theater mm. and that i don't vibe yeah i have no Ooh, a siren spicy i have no interest in torture porn but that was sort of the uh the market of horror at the time this movie came out. And now like with things like Midsommar and it follows and hereditary and you know, a lot of things that are coming out, it really is focused on like, I mean, horror has always been good about focusing on like female psyche and stuff, but now it's like, Oh God, I wish we had appreciated this movie as we are now appreciating these. Yeah. Well, what I think is kind of funny about that is that cabin in the woods came out two years after this movie did. And I feel like it fills a lot of the same 
um, needs that people have from like a horror comedy or like a, a horror that's commenting on other horror and did so much better because it was directed by a man and it was a Joss Whedon <laughs> yeah. vehicle. Yeah, we just rewatched it and I didn't think it held up near as well as this does. No, it doesn't. Um, and that mostly I think because it, it it is more patting itself on the back for its concept as opposed to building any kind of like likable characters. Whereas like because all of the people in Cabin in the Woods are the archetype of a horror film, it is like there's no complexity to it no. at all. But I will say in terms of um, people revisiting it and it becoming a cult classic, I sometimes when I take a step back and I think about my politics in 2009, granted, I was a freshman in high school, so I was going to grow and learn kind of no matter what. Mm -hmm. But the national conversation around certain topics were not what they are now. We did not have the Me Too movement. Like There were no trans people on TV, things like that that has grown exponentially in the last 10 years. And I think people feel more comfortable talking about it. I think people feel more comfortable celebrating a movie like this because they're not as concerned about being like, oh, but men won't like me if I like a movie about boys being murdered. I also think, like, I mean, to that extent, this movie was ahead of its time. I also think if you put most movies that are female-centric from that time under the microscope of, like, our modern conversation, I've said this for years about Stick It, which has, like, a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. Stick It had been produced today with, like, slightly updated jokes, and but pretty much the entirely same script. It would be, you know, the hit of the year for, right. for teenage girls. It would be the, the movie. Um, so I think it is way easy for us to be like, why didn't people like this? When it's like, uh, cause things really sucked in 2009. If, if this movie came out today, this is a movie that people would be telling you to go see. Yes. They would be telling you not to look up spoilers. They would be telling you to go just like completely unprepared. Don't know anything about it because they would be so jazzed by the concept. Mm -hmm. And it's just very sad to me. Like I could think of another uh, horror movie that came out relatively recently that suffered the same treatment, which was Crimson Peak, which is a movie that I love and it's so good. And it's like a Gothic romance and it was marketed as this like very terrifying horror. And it's, you know, directed by Guillermo del Toro. So it's not like it had, it like was an underdog mm -hmm. in any respect. It was just marketed poorly and it came out at a wrong time. Mm-hmm. Mm which is such a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's also like, because, you know, everyone's politics have, well, not everyone's politics have changed. Maybe they have. I don't know. Because the general, like, sense around um, movies, quote unquote, like Jennifer's body has changed. Um, I think it's sort of healing, too, for people to go back and watch a movie like Jennifer's body and be like, oh, you know what? actually, I enjoy this. And actually, I am thinking of Megan Fox as a whole person and not just the hot girl. Also a little bit like, you know what? I am like other girls. Yes. Yes. I am like other girls and other girls are just like me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so if you have never seen Jennifer's Body and have somehow made it to the end of this podcast, uh, I implore you to watch it. I'm really certain that whatever reservations you had previous uh, should be completely eliminated now. Uh, finally, let's do a little bit of where are they now? Because this cast... Um, where are they now? <laughs> uh, Amanda Seyfried is going to be a David Fincher's new movie. Is she? Yes. And she also just did Mamma Mia 2. Okay, we won't Which talk is... about that. I don't... It... You don't oh. like it? Wait, oh. you don't like oh, no. Mamma Mia 2? Mamma Mia 2 was so wildly disappointing. I am a 
devotee of Mamma Mia 1. <laughs> it is like one of my favorite, it is a cinematic masterpiece. Mamma Mia 2 sucked ass so hard. Oh I, 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 you're I, never allowed on the podcast. Um, Actually, I'm going to say that I did not like it as much as everybody else did, but your take is wrong. I am so short-circuiting. <laughs> I love that movie so much. I mean, part of that is like a deeply, deeply personal, um, which is too sad to get into on the podcast, but like... I saw it with my sister and like I did not stop crying and laughing the entire time like I literally think I ran out of breath and when we got to the car I was like hyperventilating because I loved it so much and there's just there's just something about it actually the scene where they do angel eyes and she keeps interrupting her is me and my sister and so that sold the movie for me but there was just I can't believe you don't like it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I literally cannot believe that I am the middle ground in an argument. (laughs) When have I, me, Christian Skillian, ever been the middle ground? I'm I'm actually not even entertaining this anymore. So Amanda Seyfried is in David Fincher's new movie. Uh, Megan Fox, pretty, she kind of left the public eye for a little while. I'm pretty sure she has quit acting. Yeah, which is so sad. She's so good. Uh, She has now... Uh, reemerged as dating machine gun Kelly, love which they broke up. Did they break up? I pre- she broke up with someone very recently. That was, I think, her ex husband. Yeah, she, okay. she got a divorce, or maybe not. Yeah. No, but she has like ch- children. She yeah. does have children. Um, yeah. She, yeah, I bet she's a great mom. Oh, she has mentioned before that her children like to um, dress in non-binary clothes, and that she supports their identities, and that she's very affirming of like her kids. So I assume that she's a rock solid mom. Yeah, she seems awesome. Um, she's also, if I remember correctly, an out bisexual. So clearly, very a big mm-hmm. supporter of the LGBTQ community. So, I mean, Megan Fox truly, if you don't feel comfortable, don't come back, but the girls in the case could really use you right <laughs> yeah. now. Um, and then I guess uh, Johnny Simmons was suppo- originally supposed to be Scott in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And then his role was given to Michael Sarah. And for what? And for what? And he was, he ended up playing young Neil, which is fine, but that was still a movie that was 10 years ago. And then I really haven't heard very much. I think that he's working. I think I looked him up recently and he's like a working actor, but like, I think that Johnny Simmons had a lot more potential. Yeah. I mean, again, he is so lovable and wonderful as Chip. The funny thing about him as young Neil in Scott Pilgrim is that young, the way he is as young Neil is actually how Scott should be because in the comics, Scott is just hot and stupid. Mm -hmm. Like that's his whole thing. And Michael Sarah is less. <laughs> and like I know people have their opinions of Michael Sarah, and I think Michael Sarah is a really good actor, but he doesn't really fill the hot and stupid. <laughs> no, that's God is me. <laughs> and that's why I think people misinterpret like why they'll be like, why would Scott ever get Ramona Flowers? And it's because like in the comics, he's hot. And that's yeah. how it works. Um, and then uh, oh, J.K. Simmons was busy like winning Oscars, Just out there being one of the finest actors of his generation, and being fucking jacked, being ripped <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> Literally, the dude is. He is really, I mean, have you seen the picture? Uh, Pure Michigan. No. <laughs> you haven't seen the picture? Hold on, I'm going to look it up. Keep talking okay. amongst yourselves. Uh, yeah, J.K. Simmons is obviously very prolific um, and clearly a, a Diablo Cody favorite because he is uh, wonderful in Juno. Um, he also was in Whiplash, which I oh love. God. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to tweet the picture now that you guys have brought it up. Show me. You Have you not seen it? Oh my God. <laughs> is this what your reference is? Oh my God. <laughs> 
Damn. <laughs> I'm that very impressed. me in his 70s. Um, yeah, it's you know that that photo would not be half as terrifying were it not for the beard. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Jacob Simmons won an Oscar for Whiplash, and then was also in Defending Jacob, which sucked. But he was in it, and he, he was, was the, best, the part. best part. Besides Cherry Jones, who yeah. recently won a Tony. Good for her. Um, J.K. Simmons is like f- one of the few people from my hometown where I'm like a good one. Yeah, no, yeah. he's definitely a good one. Yeah, him and uh, John Hughes, I've always loved. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a not, that is everybody. If you don't like John Hughes, yeah. you're out. <laughs> I, I, I do feel like in part that's why I like teen media so much. It's like John Hughes blessed me for being there from mm-hmm. there. Um, finally, we're going to give us this movie a grade. Uh, I already told you I give it an A+. Plus. I love this movie, uh, despite the flaws, which I'm willing and ready to acknowledge, but it doesn't matter because this is about what my heart wants. So A+, plus for me. Uh, it's an A++ for me. I mean, Hell I, yeah. I just, I, <laughs> I love this movie. It's, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Anytime it comes up in conversation, I'm like, no, I like free. I will just say, you're welcome. I know. No, I, I truly owe it all to you. Yeah. All right, Julia. I have a feeling that you're gonna have a controversial opinion. I'm just gonna give it an A minus. Okay, that's fine. There were certain are you, things uh, I didn't care fine. for. I will. I'm gonna ask. Are you? Would you give it a lower grade if we didn't like it so much? No, um, because I can acknowledge that some of my issues are personal to me, mm-hmm. um, which is that I don't care for Diablo Cody's writing very much, and I know that that is controversial. And I don't know. Maybe I'm a dummy, but like I can acknowledge. That it is a good movie, and uh, I enjoyed watching it, despite what I didn't care for. Mm. Cool. Well, if you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast and are looking forward to more bonus episodes, we'll be back in the December-November region with our Christmas bonus episodes. Maybe Kathleen will join us. I would love to. Um, yes. We'll be back to with our regular scheduled Teen Wolf programming, uh, as always, on Wednesday. We're going to be picking up Season 3B, Episode 3. Um, and if you like this podcast, we hope that you give us a review on iTunes. It's definitely how we're going to find new listeners. If you know anybody who likes Jennifer's body and you haven't had a reason to share this podcast with them yet, go ahead and send them this. It's spooky. It's fun. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can find us on Facebook, Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. Join the group. Share the memes. We're also on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf. And is that the end of my spiel? I think so. Oh, well, damn. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Without further ado, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And I've been Kathleen. Who? (laughs) Kathleen! (laughs) And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, Uh, Woo!